Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. I am Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here, whether you're live streaming or whether you're live at our campus that's in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm always really glad to be able to connect with you. Glad to be able to follow up that good news that your generosity has empowered $60,000 actually to help men in, uh, and women in early stages of recovery. So uh, just glad to be part of that movement of the Holy Spirit that you all make possible. And this is the third week in this series called Some People Get All the Breaks. And it's been a series that comes from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And so if you have your Bible with you and your Bible looks like this, I want to invite you to locate Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verses 1 through 12. Maybe your Bible's on your phone, in which case you're welcome to scroll to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Or maybe you're just going to look up on the screen. However you connect with it, it that, that will all work. And and one of the things we talk about a, a lot at this church, and, and some of you heard it a lot, and others of you have never heard it before. But it, one of them is that we realize the Bible is a library, a collection of a lot of books uh, in many different writing styles. And the book of Ecclesiastes is quite unique in terms of writing style. I think for now, we'll, we'll put it in the memoir section of the biblical library, and I'll explain a little bit about that in, in, in just a moment. And, and that's one thing we believe about the Bible. The other thing that we believe about the Bible, you may not believe it yet. You may still be figuring things out. We just like to be very clear and upfront. We in leadership believe there's no other collection like this, that the Bible really is inspired and eternal and true. And because we have that belief, when we get together and when we talk about it, we do this kind of different thing. And some of you are already beating me to the punch, veterans, we lift the Bible up. And, and if you've never been here before and you see all these phones and all these, a few books up in the air, and you're like, this is just a little bit different. We admit it. We know this is strange, but we've decided that this moment of oddity shapes our identity as a community, even if we look a little bit different in this moment, we're shaped together as a people who are joyfully, collectively surrendered to the authority of God's word. Amen? And before I say uh, a next word, we're going to pray. And as I pray, y'all, y'all been, uh, been awake the last, uh, really since Friday, you've been awake the last 72 hours. And so I want to pray peace and serenity on our land. And, and, and most of you know who know me or know this church well, we're, we're much more typically oriented towards relating to things pastorally than politically. We, 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 we celebrate that God adores life in the womb, and but we also celebrate that a, a God adores life throughout. And so we're going to pray that all people would be thoroughly, completely aware of the adoration that God has for them from the womb to the tomb and beyond. Let's pray. So Father, I, I pray that you would uh, now in, in the moments before this message that you would really give our, our, our land and people who name your name would give us a sense of peace. We, we, we know that Every bit of uncertainty and every bit of anxiety is temporary, but that your peace is eternal. And so I pray that you would pour that peace out on this particular gathering of people, live and live stream. And God, as, as we think about this message to come on broken spirits, I pray, Lord, that you would fill me from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head with everything that is good and right 
and joyful and true about the Holy Spirit of God. In the strong and the saving name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I am a, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you today. It's not like I, I usually stand up and I do lie, but, but I'm not gonna lie. I have had more fun preparing and delivering the messages for this series, Some People Get All the Breaks. I've had more fun preparing them and more fun delivering them any, than any other series ever. Like ever, and I've been preaching a long time, ever. About a year ago, some of you may remember that I had a message called Walking on Eggshells. And I remember thinking during that, well, preaching could never get more fun than this. <laughs> and then it did. And I think the reason I have found this, y'all might've hated it, but I think the reason that I have found this series so enjoyable, some people get all the breaks, is because it is about a book, the book of Ecclesiastes. And an author, King Solomon, in which the author is more often the problem than he is the solution. Isn't that great? The, the, the Bible is so interesting when you actually crack it open and read it for yourself and read it in community and have a guide to help. Yeah, we're, we're reading a book where the author is more often the problem than he is the solution. You see, the, the author of, of uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, he writes this particular book from a place of what, what we would call great despair, maybe clinical depression, and sometimes some serious delusion going on in his life. And, and as you may or may not know, King Solomon, who lived about 3,000 years ago, a thousand years or so before Jesus, he was a man. You talk about someone getting all the breaks. He got all the breaks. He was born into wealth. He was born into privilege. He was born into royalty. He had looks. He had romance. He had servants. He had the latest iPhone. I mean, he caught all the, all the breaks, he caught so many breaks, people, that he got broken by them. And earlier in his life, he'd, he'd written the sort of streamlined book that we know of as the book of Proverbs. I think he wrote Proverbs when he was in an emotionally healthy place. And the message of Proverbs in a nutshell is live right and you'll be wise, live wrong and you'll be proved to be a fool. And yet in Ecclesiastes, written later in his life, again, earlier in his life, he wasn't in this kind of depression. Later in life, he writes this Ecclesiastes, which, which I've mentioned before. And if you haven't been here, that's great. I'm so glad you're here now. But Ecclesiastes is this bewildering mishmash of memoir, of guy on a therapist's couch pouring himself out to his therapist, of occasional flashes of insight, frequent bouts of delusion. And for in the case of today's reading, and I can't wait to show you what I'm talking about. In the case of today's reading, an absolutely stunning lack of self-awareness. Isn't that great? An author in the Bible demonstrates that he has like zero self-aware. You know what? You know what self-awareness is or its absence is, don't you? Self-awareness is, is that ability to realize 
how other people perceive you, how, how you come across to others, what it is like to be on the other side of you. And uh, Harvard Business Review, they, they did a survey that, that said most people think they have self-awareness, a lot of self-awareness, and only about 15% of them really do. <laughs> you know what that means. You're, you're probably one of the 85%, I'm just saying. <laughs> but people who don't have self-awareness, you know, they, they, they fail to realize how they pursue conflict rather than kind of embrace, they they actually pursue it. People who don't have self-awareness, they look around and and they're like, man, I got a lot of conflicted relationships without realizing, oh, I'm the common denominator in all of them. People who lack self-awareness, they don't realize they talk too much. You you know long talkers. People who, uh, says the guy who talks for a living, people who lack self-awareness, they don't realize the way, and and you know people like this, I know this happens where you work, people who just by the expression on their face or the size that they emit, they can manipulate the atmosphere in a room just by walking into it. And and people who lack self-awareness don't realize the level of control and manipulation they have in any kind of gathering. And for the sake of today, For the sake of what Solomon shows us, people with with a lack of self-awareness, they have this gap between their stated belief and their actual lives, and they make no effort to hide it. They are oblivious to the gap between stated belief and actual life. In fact, sometimes they display it. That's how little self-awareness they have. What I'm talking about is not hypocrisy. Hypocrites, they t- they tend to be aware of their stuff. Uh, of the aware away of their stuff, they tend to be aware of their stuff, and that's try- why they try to keep it underground. People who don't have any self awareness, they're not aware of their stuff. They're not aware of how their stated beliefs and their actual lives have this incredible gap between it, and so they they will parade it all around. And you see examples of this everywhere, historically, globally, personally, currently. Like uh, uh, so many things that you can think of where where people had no self, like, like communism. Think of communist countries like the former Soviet Union or China or Cuba. Communism has as as, as one of its main tenets, no personal property. Private property is bad. In communism, that's one of the core, that uh, along with there's no such thing as God. So those, those are the driving factors. There is no God and there is no private property. Well, well, when communists took over in places like Russia and Cuba, who was it who ran out and gobbled up all the Russian mansions or the Cuban result, resorts for their own luxury living? Who did all that? Mr. Lenin and Mr. Castro, of course and highlighted it, or, or even maybe on these shores. Y- y'all know, because y- I-, I know you people, y'all are hip, you're cool. And you've had entertainers in, in your lives and musicians and, and movie stars, and, 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 and you've had them let you know that they're kinda, they really prefer socialism and wish we all paid more taxes and just kind of love that approach to government. And yet when it's time to sell their mansions, 
in San Francisco or in Los Angeles or New York, what, what do these same entertainers do? They sell their mansions for what? Market price. Socialists with your money, but capitalists with their own and make no effort to hide it. Or, or even in, in our Methodist movement, I don't know if you know that this is a, a Methodist church and Methodist is a worldwide denomination. There is an effort to separate Methodists living in the United States from Methodists living in Asia and Africa and around, around the globe, primarily because a lot of the Methodists, this isn't me, but a lot of the Methodists in the United States want, want the freedom to adopt a, a, a sort of more Western more North American understanding of marriage and, and more lenient, more, more promiscuous, more redefining of what Jesus re- reinforced, uh, understanding of marriage and sex and the family. And, 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 and because African and Asian Methodists tend not to, no, we, don't, we, we, we actually believe what the Bible says. We don't think we're smarter than Paul or more enlightened than Moses. And, and so American Methodists will say, well, we need to separate. We, we need separate but equal. Hello. We need separate but equal Methodism. And I'm like, wait, but isn't that racist? It's separate but equal. We've already said that that's racist. And, and, and people will be like, well, how, how dare you? We, we need that freedom to show that we, we in America, and they're just, we just got to pull them along how we are now smarter than Paul and more enlightened than Moses. It, it really is. This, and make no effort to hide it. And so that's what I mean by a lack of self-awareness in individual lives, in corporate lives, in denominational lives, in religious lives, political lives, where people have a gap between what they state they believe and how they live, and they're proud of it. And onto that Mount Rushmore of people who lack self-awareness, we can sculpt the head of King Solomon. And I can't wait to show you what I mean, because look at what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter four and verse one of his book. Again, I, and he's, he's just kind of musing on what he sees in the world. Again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors. What? And they have no comforter. Now, this is spot on analysis. I looked around, Solomon says, and I saw villains and victims. I saw oppressors and oppressed. And it seems to be the natural bent of the human race that people who have power will, will use people who don't have power to advance their own ends and their own agenda. And so Solomon looks around this and he says, I see this, I don't like it. Everywhere I look, there's oppressed and oppressors. And who's gonna be, who's gonna be, Solomon asks, on the side of the oppressors, uh, oppressed. And, and his analysis is so spot on because you see this all around. You, you, you see this dynamic of oppressed and oppressors. I mean, you... You see it in communist countries and you see it in capitalist countries and you see it in manipulative bosses and you see it in abusive pastors. And you know where else you see this dynamic of oppressed and oppressors? In families. In fact, some of you grew up in which at the hands of mom or dad, or mom and dad, or even siblings, 
that you were the oppressed and they were the oppressors, that maybe it was neglect, or maybe it was words of continual words of condemnation, or maybe for some of you it was even abuse. But you know what it's like to be on the victim end of, of their villainy, and they broke your spirit because you were that oppressed person at the hands of the people who should have loved you the most, you had your spirit broken. And for a lot of you, you just worked at putting that spirit back together that was broken when you were just a kid. And now that you're an adult, oh my goodness, you realize you've married someone just like mom or just like dad, and they're doing that same spirit breaking on you right now that you thought you'd escaped earlier. And then a handful of you, maybe, maybe a large handful of, handful of you, you're, you're listening to me and, and, and you're thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know what he's talking about. That doesn't describe my, you know why that is? Because you're the oppressor. And everybody in your family, your spouse, your kids, maybe even your parents, everybody knows it but you. And so, yeah, Solomon has this incredible analysis, this spot on analysis. Hey, people, everywhere I look, I see oppressed and, and oppressors, and I don't like those oppressors one bit. In fact, I actually despise them, <laughs> which is how, and which is why Solomon ends up sculpting his own head onto the Mount Rushmore of the unself-aware. Because I've told you all a million times, actually, if you've never been here before, I've told you once, but I've told other people a million times, not book is library. And in, in Ecclesiastes, we have the memoir section of the library, but over in the book of First Kings, just the facts, ma'am, it's the history section. And look at what the history section tells us about Solomon, the same one who's pointing his finger at everybody, not liking all their oppression. Look at what we read in First Kings chapter 5 and verses 13 and 14. This is a reporting of what Solomon's reign was like. King Solomon conscripted laborers. He made people work for him. From all Israel, 30,000 men. And he sent them off to Lebanon in shifts of 10,000 a month so that they spent one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the forced labor. Same book, chapter 9, verse 15. Here's the account of the, what? Forced labor that King Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple, his own palace, which means that Solomon forced laborers to build not only the temple of the Lord, but hey, hey guys, while I'm making you work against your will, could y'all build me a mansion while you're at it? And they did it his own palace, the terraces, the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Oh my goodness. What, what, what we have here is the Bible is a library, and in this case, the history section of the library holds the memoir section of the library accountable. It's like, oh, no, 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 Solomon, don't you go pointing your fingers at all those people you say are oppressors when you are exhibit A. You're like the biggest oppressor we ever had. And what you may not know is that all the resentment that bubbled up from Solomon forcing men to work on his own mansion against their will 
all that resentment bubbled up and so that after Solomon died, there was a civil war in Israel. North versus South, like I guess all civil wars are. North versus South. And the end result of that civil war was that one united nation became two much weakened fiefdoms. It was Israel in the North and Judah in the South. And, and so what Solomon's legacy is, was broken spirits. He broke the spirits of all these conscripted laborers leading to a broken nation. And it gets even worse. These two little fiefdoms, so weakened and so compromised, Israel and Judah, they themselves got overtaken and conquered by the neighborhood bullies of Assyria and Babylon. And so the people in formerly united Israel they became slaves themselves, conscripted, owned, exile. The legacy of this spirit breaker guy, completely unaware of his own, uh, of his own sin, is broken spirits and a broken nation and an absolutely, talk about getting all the breaks and getting broken by them and spreading that around. And as I realized, had the nerve that Solomon had to write Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse one. I looked all around and I saw oppressors everywhere. What nerve he had. And when I realized what nerve he had, but he wrote those words anyway. And I think about all the Solomons we still have. All the people who point fingers at other people for doing the same things they are in themselves. Here's what I want you to know. Good shepherd, we despise in others the very thing we have become in ourselves. Yep, that's what we do. We, we who, especially when we lack self-awareness, we despise in other people the very thing we have become and are becoming in ourselves. The people who yell the loudest have the most to hide. We're the most critical of other people in the areas of life where we're the most culpable. We despise in others. Very thing we've become in ourselves. Man, for many years, I had a, a, a preacher or two and kind of in my orbit of, of preacher friends and preacher frenemies and, and who just, they just drove me crazy talked about themselves a lot and always wanted the spotlight, name dropping a lot, always wanted all the attention. And it just, when I'd be around them, it would stir up all this rage in me. And then gradually, within the last five or six years, I realized, oh, I kind of like to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral myself. And, and who was it who helped me realize that? It was my own adult children as gently as they could, but as severely as they must. And it just helped me realize, oh my goodness, I am pointing fingers at others for that very thing at which I am getting an advanced degree. How dare, how dare you always want the attention? How dare you always want the spotlight? Says the guy who lives for attention, longs for the spotlight. We, we despise another the very thing we have become in ourselves or that guy in extended Davis family, kind of notorious in our family lore. And maybe you have someone in, in your extended family like this and, 
And, and this fellow was very outspoken on all kinds of topics that usually having to do with government and education and, and taxes. Never had an opinion he didn't express or a fight that he didn't launch into. And come to find out what was going on all those years. Well, he had his own secret life going on with all kind of sordid stuff, including but not limited to tax evasion. I mean, I mean, like exhibit A him, himself in loud yeller who had the most to hide. We despise in other people the very thing we have become in ourselves. Where, where is it for you? Where, where is it that, that, that this message, these moments are raising your own self-awareness? Do you really rail against people who blow up families as a cover for your own history 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Do you kind of like it when public figures get caught up in some money laundering as a way of covering up for how you hope no one finds out about yours? Or do you, do you, do you love to smirk or you go on social media and you kind of celebrate when when public figures get caught up in sex scandals and, and you think to yourself as you make fun of them on, on social media and you're like, well, at least they're, I'm not as bad as he is. I've never done what she did. Or maybe it's not quite so dramatic. Maybe, maybe for you, you, some of you who are my generation approximately and, and you have some adult children, and you make no secret of your disappointment in those adult children. And what those adult children are doing that you're so disappointed in is exactly what you did when you were their age. Or maybe some of you, you have a lot of venom towards your own parents, towards your own upbringing. And what you just now realize today is that you are repeating those same patterns in your own life. Man, as a, as a teenager, young adult, I used to get so frustrated with my dad. I come from a big family, and, and dad was old when I was born. And, and, uh, but I would get so frustrated with him because we'd be at a big family dinner, and if my dad wasn't getting enough attention, well, we, we'd start hearing him at the end of the table. <sighs> Anybody have a dad like that? And it, it was just kind of his unspoken way of saying, pay attention to me. And I remember thinking, well, what a baby he is. And, and then it was about six months ago, I, I heard those exact same sounds coming out of my mouth when I wouldn't get all the attention I deserved. We despise in others the very thing we're becoming in ourselves. Or maybe... Maybe for some of you, it, it does have to do with that spirit breaking that we have seen in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the book of 1 Kings. And maybe you, you realize today that the very way that your boss has treated you, the very way your parents treated you, the very ways that your spirits were broken when you were younger, or the ways that your spirit was broken last week, is the same kind of spirit breaking that you inflict on the people you should love the most. Where is it for you? My great prayer is that especially if spirit breaking is your forte, 
that you respond to the ways that your spirit was, bro was broken by breaking the spirits of other. And if that is your forte, I pray that today will be the day when the, self, the lack of self-awareness stops, when you wake up to who you are and what you're doing, and you have a moment of rigorous honesty, as our recovery friends say, and today is the day it stops. Because we need that rigorous honesty. All of us do. I, I, I love what Solomon, may, maybe as he becomes aware of just what a hypocrite he is in, in Ecclesiastes 4, look at what he says in verse 8. Same chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse eight. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. Oh my goodness. Oppressors abuse people. And because of all the abuse they heap on so many, of all the spirits they break, they become isolated and alone. And out of that realization, he moves down to verse 12, which is a verse that's often used in weddings where, where it fits fine if you use it in your wedding, that's great. Yet in context here, it means something slightly different than a man and a woman. Look what it says in verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And, and, and what he means in context is, in, in, when, when your spirit breaking isolates you, is that when that happens, hopefully before that happens, we all need a friend, what, what I would call a friend who can, an upside the head friend. Like, do you have a, you have a friend who can slap you upside the head? You, like Cher in that movie Moonstruck, and she slaps the guy and she says, snap out of it, will ya? And, do you have a friend who can... Now, I don't mean literally. Don't leave here and say, Talbot told us we could slap each other. <laughs> don't leave here and say, share is Talbot's role model. No, I mean metaphorically. Meta we need someone who can speak the hard truths into our lives. For, for me, I, I was blessed. It was my adult children. For you? Maybe it's an AA sponsor. Maybe it's a life group member. Maybe it's a therapist. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's your adult children as well. But the question is, will you be able to get that slap upside the head? to open up your self-awareness so that you can close the gap between the stated beliefs and the life that you actually live. Because here's, here's what I don't want. I, I don't want, when, when your memoir gets written, I don't want your memoir to be the subject of some sermon years later talking about how you had virtually no self-awareness. I want today to be that day that the rigorous honesty starts. You become aware of your shadow side. Man, I'm so grateful for those personality inventories that I've taken. You, you know those personality inventories I'm talking about, like you, you discover what kind of animal you are or what your colors are or what, what your number is or, or what your Myers-Briggs is. Whatever the inventory, the way they've worked in my life is to help me become more and more aware of my shadow side, which is severe. 
And by becoming more aware of that shadow side, I think, I've, I, I think I'd done it. I'd started sculpting my own head onto the Mount Rushmore of the self-unaware. But little by little, with friends who slap me upside the head and inventories that tell me who I am, I'm able to chisel that stuff away. And that's what I want for you. Because where's the, where's the hope? You might want some rigorous honesty. You, you, you might want to vow to be different. You might want to not break another spirit in your life. Where's the hope? Well, who? Who was oppressed himself? Who came to set the oppressed free? Who came that, that you and and me and all of us, that we might not only know, but we might be fully known. And who took all the venom that we spew at others, which is really just self-loathing in disguise. Who took all that upon himself? Yeah, Jesus did all that and more for you and for me. Let's pray. So God, thank you that you, you have come so that we might know and be fully known. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make all of us in this place aware of our shadow sides, aware of how we break spirits, and so ready to receive your grace and your goodness and your healing from the inside out. In the strong in the saving name of Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen.